So, thank you all for coming. Today's class in the beautiful Bhagavatam by Krishna Dwaipayan. Today's verse is 10th uh, Canto, Chapter 2, Text 10. Archi Shanti Archi Shanti Manushas Twam Sarva Karma Sarva Karma Actually that's Sarva Kama Sarva Kama Vareshvari Vareshvari Dupopaha Hara Hara Balibi Sarva Kama Varapadam Archi Shanti Manusyu Manushastvam Archi Shanti Manushastvam Sarva Kama Vareshvari Dupopara Dupopahara Balibi Sarva Kama Varapadam Archi Shanti Manushastvam Sarva Kama Vareshvarim Dupopara Pahara Balibi Sarva Kama Varaparam Archi Shanti Manushastvam Sarva Kama Vareshwarim Dupopahara Balibi Sarva Kama Varapadam Sarva Kama Varapadam 
very good. Archishanti will worship. Manushaha, human society. Tuam, unto you. Sarva Kama Bara Ishwaram. Because you are the best of the demigods who can fulfill all material desires. Dupa by incense. Dupahara by presentations. Balibi by different types of worship. Through sacrifice. Sarvakama of all material desires. Vara the blessings. Pradam one who can bestow. Translation. By sacrifices of animals, ordinary human beings will worship you gorgeously with various paraphernalia because you are supreme in fulfilling material desires of everyone. So I say you can repeat. By sacrifices of animals, ordinary human beings will worship you gorgeously with various paraphernalia because you are supreme in fulfilling the material desires of everyone. Purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. As stated in Bhagavad Gita 7.20, Kamashtashtaya-kritagyana-prapadyante-nya-devadaha Those whose minds are distorted by material desires surrender unto demigods. Therefore, the word manusha, meaning human being, here refers to one who does not know the actual goal of life. Such a person wants to enjoy the material world by taking birth in a highly elevated family with the benefits of education, beauty, and immense wealth, which in this material world are desirable. One who has forgotten the real aim of life may worship Goddess Durga, Maya Shakti, under various names for different purposes and in different places. As there are many holy places for worshiping of Krishna, there are so also many holy places in India for the worship of Durga Devi, or Maya Devi, who took birth as the daughter of Yashoda. After cheating Kamsa, Maya Devi dispersed herself to various places, especially in Vindhyachala to accept regular worship from ordinary men. A human being should actually be interested in understanding Atma-tattva, the truth of Atma, the spirit soul, and Paramatma, the supreme soul. Those who are interested in Atma-tattva worship the supreme personality of Godhead. Yashmin vijante sarva evam However, as explained, in the next verse of this chapter, those who cannot understand Atmatattva, Apasyatam Atmatattvam, 
worship Yoga Maya in her different features. Therefore, in Srimad Bhagavatam 2.1.2, it says, Shrotavyadini Rajendra Vrinyam Santi Sahasrasaha Apashatam Atma Tattvam Griheshu Those persons who are materially engrossed, being blind to the knowledge of the ultimate truth, have many subject matters for hearing in human society, O Emperor. Those who are interested in remaining in this material world and are not interested in spiritual salvation have many duties. But for one who is interested in, this, in supreme salvation, the only duty is to surrender fully unto Krishna. Sarva dharman parityanya mame kamsaranam raja. Such a person is not interested in material enjoyment. Once again the verse, by sacrifices of animals, ordinary beings will worship you gorgeously with various paraphernalia because you are supreme in fulfilling material desires. This is Krishna speaking to uh, Maya Devi, Yoga Maya. Om Jnana Timrindasya Gnanjana Shalakaya Chakshur Pun Militam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamaya Vandadakti Swapadamitam Panchakalpa Tarubyas Chakrita Sindhupi Vacha Patitanam Baba Nebyo Vaishnavibyo Namo Namaha so, uh, here we are, this, this verse uh, kind of sums up the, the essence of practically all religion uh, by ordinary men on this planet today, you see. People go to the Supreme Lord and they're always uh, going with a handout, you know. I think we were talking about this last evening people go to the Supreme Lord and their their mood is to uh, uh, say no good morning Lord or good evening praise you praise your name hallowed be your name you're so great and wonderful now that we've got that out of the way here's my list of uh, things that I want these are my this is my want list for the today uh, sometimes people will say uh, I have a friend in, in Dallas that was telling me that uh, she goes to the Christian church and she said that sometimes she just gets so sick and tired. She's also a very nice devotee. She's uh, very soon to be initiated. And she's uh, still, still full-time Christian. It's interesting the two can go very nicely together very nicely. But when she goes to her church, she uh, gets a little disgusted and sometimes people are saying this wish list you know, let's all let's all pray for this. I remember I was in church one time. Uh, my sister, a few years ago, twisted my arm to go to her church, so I went. And at the end, people were saying things like, "Oh, I uh, let let us pray for my uh, relative. They're in uh, uh, Florida. They're coming back to Tennessee. It's a long drive. Uh, Lord, please ride in the car with them. Please go with them and protect them. You know." Well, it's a long drive from Tennessee, you know, to Florida. It's ten hours. Who would who would wish that on God? I want you to I want you to ride in the car. 
Ah, you're talking Supreme Godhead here. You want me to ride in their car? I, I, if we're going to ask the Lord to do something, we would want him to, to have maybe a flower airplane, you know, or a golden car. Just ride in that car with him. But there was no, there's no thought put into it. This isn't, this isn't an exchange of love, you see. It's like, hey, you, give me this. Take care of me. Do this, do this, you see. Give me, give me. And you do for me. So, uh, and this outlines it here. By sacrifices of animals, ordinary human beings. Now, notice we're pointing out these are ordinary human beings will worship you gorgeously with various paraphernalia because you are supreme in fulfilling material desires. Uh, we've gotten away from that in many parts of the world. Um, this, is a, this is not really gorgeous worship. We come together, we talk a little bit, and then, okay, uh, my dear Lord, have you got your pen and pencil ready? You know, your pen and paper? Because here comes my list. <clears throat> you know, of course, maybe God's got an iPad and he can type it out as fast as you can say it, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. We're expecting them to, uh, to do like that. Uh, people are not interested in so much uh, the self. Who am I? You know, my dear Lord, who are you? How do we relate? What, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? You see, we don't get that far in today's, uh, practically speaking, most of uh, the religious practices in this Kali Yuga. You see, it's uh, it's basically uh, minimal. We do the minimum minimum required. You know, it's not a gorgeous worship. Uh, the, the, the type of worship that uh, Krishna is talking about here uh, used to be very, very gorgeous you know, with, with uh, wonderful ornaments, you know, for Durga Devi, great, you know, the paraphernalia was golden or whatever, you see, uh, animal sacrifices, this was a great, it was a great thing, you know, the Durga people were, were, were approaching her, not out of love, they still don't approach a, a, a Durga Devi out of love. Yoga Maya, she's not approached because, oh, my dear, people go to her because they want something. I want material, uh, I want, it's described here, I want uh, a good life, I want wealth, uh, beauty, you know, like that. Good education, good, may, may I have good business, you see. So, uh, and it's not that people are bad. Sometimes when we talk like this, people feel like, well, you, well you're really down on people, aren't you? Well, no, it's not that. We're simply trying to point out that there is a proper mode, you see. There is a proper mode to worship the Supreme Lord. You see, first we have to get over ourselves. We have to stop um, this uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. We're so covered up by material desires in this material world that it even fades over into our religious purposes, our, our, our religious practices, you see. 
I'm so uh, interested in what I want, and I'm so uh, covered up with the desires of those that I'm responsible for, my wife, my children, um, maybe my parents, whomever, they all have desires too, you see. So the, the poor family man, he has his own material desires that he has to wrestle with. Then he's got the family members and they all have their own set of material desires. You know, Daddy, I want a laptop. Daddy, I want a, an iPad. Daddy, I want this. I want, I want, I want, I want. A new pair of shoes. You know, I want some fashionable jeans. And, you know, it just, it goes on and on and on. You see? So, uh, one gets covered up. So, what can I do? I'm so desperate here. I need my desires fulfilled. I need the desires of all these other people fulfilled. Oh, God, help me. Uh, who else can I go to with all these desires? I have to go to God. Okay. Good. Now that I've got your attention, Lord, start writing. You know, here's what I want. You see, these are my marching orders for you today. Uh, man proposes and God disposes. So, um, and it's like that. Uh, not that we're bad. We're just overcome by the material energy. We're not bad, we're pure, you see. When it's just like uh, distilled water, you know, when, the, when um, distilled water is 100% pure. It's like when the sun takes the water out of the, it could be a dirty pond, you know, pond scum and whatever, but the sun can distill the water out of that and it goes up, turns into a cloud. And that cloud is pure, set percent pure uncontaminated there are no minerals in it there's nothing it's just pure water so when that cloud comes in contact with a, a breeze cool enough it will precipitate it will rain so when that raindrop forms and starts to fall it's 100% pure but as it falls through the dirty atmosphere it picks up some contamination and then it hits the ground and becomes contaminated see so we're like that we start out completely pure when we enter this material world we're totally pure completely innocent you see and that's our nature our nature is that of purity but we've been come uh, become contaminated by our association with the material energy you see so now things are are twisted uh, with us See, we leave a situation of where we think of Krishna. We think of Krishna always and Krishna's needs. Now some people may say, oh, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. God doesn't need anything. You see? Well, but that's not a, a, a platform of love. You see, the gopis would worry about Krishna when he would go to the forest, take the cows to the forest. They would worry. What if Krishna steps on something sharp and hurts his foot? You see? All day they're thinking, oh, I wonder if Krishna has enough to eat, if they have lunch. Did they take enough to have lunch? And I don't want Krishna to be hungry. You know, does he have enough fresh water? You know? I don't remember if I made a nice enough garland for Krishna this morning before he left. To go to the forest 
you see. Oh, and I was going to comb his hair. Before he left, I was going to comb his hair and put the flowers in his hair, like this different way I was meditating on. I was dreaming about that before I woke up this morning, about how to arrange the flowers in Krishna's hair. And I forgot about that because I was doing something else for Krishna. You see what I mean? This is Krishna consciousness. Now, uh, a mundane, ordinary person would say, well, why do you worry about God? He's not going to hurt his feet. He can step on anything, he's not going to hurt his feet. You see? And let him do his own hair. He's, he's all powerful. He's a smart guy to take care of himself. Why do we have to worry about him? What about me over here? I've got all kinds of needs. You see? He's a tough guy. He can take care of himself. I'm the weak one. I need help. You see? So, that's material consciousness. And it's missing what? What's missing? What's the difference between that con those two consciousness? Love. Love. When you love Krishna, you worry. You don't think of him as, well, he's a big guy, he'd take care of himself. You worry. Oh, what if, what if he steps on something and hurts his foot? You know, it may, it may turn up cold today. I don't know if he took his chutter with him. <laughs> you see? This is constant meditation on, on Krishna in separation. Krishna, he's gone. He went to the forest with the cows. And so, now, but my mind has gone with him. I'm seeing every step he takes. Watch out for that. Don't do this. Please, oh. Are you cold? Do you have enough to drink? Do you have water? You know. Just like a mother with her child. You see, we can see like that. A mother, the child goes off and the mother's thinking, oh, did I pack enough lunch? Did I do this? Did I do that? You know. You see. I wonder what the child wonder what my child is doing right now. You know? The parents are like that. You see. So uh, just because Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead doesn't mean we can't uh, love Him. Well, some people have difficulty with that. They truly do. They, they, uh, um, they actually see no reason for loving God. And they, they say, well, you can... Of, of course we love Him. He created us. Well, you know, this is kind of like junior league love. You know, this is, I don't know if this would qualify as love. This is more like liking a lot. Or, or liking, you know. Or I have an appreciation. He created me. So, thank you very much. And, uh, all right, get your pen ready, because here's, here's my list of things that I need for today. Okay. You, you great guy, creator, supplier of my desires. <laughs> Gee whiz, how could I not like him? You know? So, uh, and he, the, you can tell that this is uh, based on the impersonalistic approach. You know, uh, Gino Prabhu and I were talking last night. Um, uh, I was speaking to Jai Dwaita Maharaj, and we were talking, we were just kind of, you know, just like a couple of kids just rattling off. And, talking like little boys, you know, and, 
were saying, you know, when we first came to the movement, we started reading Prabhupada's books. And um, we noticed very soon in Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada starts talking about the impersonalists, these Mayavadis. And you know, that was very interesting. And then a few pages later, Prabhupada's talking about the Mayavadis again. And then a few pages later, Prabhupada's talking about the Mayavadis again. And then chapter after chapter, Prabhupada's talking about these impersonalists and the Mayavadis. And we start to wonder, who are these guys? What did they do to Prabhupada? Who are these people? And why does he talk about them so much? And then we came to the stark realization one day, I'm the Mayavadis. He's talking about me. He's talking about us. We are impersonal. See, it's like uh, uh, sometimes you, you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you get around someone who is uh, who once had a drinking problem. You know, they were an alcoholic, and they've got treat. They sought treatment. They refer to themselves as a recovering alcoholic. You know. They don't say, I'm a cured alcoholic, or I was. They say, I am a recovering alcoholic. Meaning, I could fall off the wagon any time if I'm not careful, you see. So, I like to think of myself as a recovering impersonalist. You know, I'm, just, I'm, I don't, I'm not there yet. But we're, it's so ingrained in us, this impersonalism. Even though some people can look you right in the eye and say, no, no. I've got a friend in Tennessee who uh, married uh, a yoga instructor. <clears throat> He's been a devotee for a long time. And uh, he really thought this was going to work out. This is his third marriage. He thought this time I'd really hit a home run. You know, I found a yoga instructor. Now, she's not a Hare Krishna, but she's into Eastern philosophy. She likes Indian food. She's a, a, a vegetarian. <laughs> And she does yoga. Yeah, there you go. She likes India. Oh, this is this is wonderful. And uh, I said, I said to him when I heard about, it, I said, this was a few years ago. I said, um, well, but you know, most people tend tend to be a little impersonal. Are you sure she's not impersonal? Oh no, she's not an impersonalist. She's a, a Shivite, a Kashmiri Shivite. They worship Shiva. And I said, are you, are you sure? He's, oh, come on. No, no, it's not. A, she's not in person. And then, uh, so when I met her, <clears throat> I traveled in Tennessee and I met her. We talked about um, philosophy and uh, impersonalism. And she said, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I know you Hare Krishnas are real touchy about that. And I assure you, we Kashmiri Shivites are not impersonalists. We are not Mayavadis at all. I said, oh, really? She said, yes, because we worship the form of Shiva. And I said, oh, well, that's very interesting. So she's raving, you know, positively. No way are we impersonalists. We worship the form of Shiva. And I said, well, what's it like when you're liberated, you know, in a liberated situation? What do you and Shiva do? What are your pastimes? I mean, you, so at the time of liberation, you achieve Shiva? Yes. I said, well, what's that like? What do you, what's... I'm not familiar with what you would do with Lord Shiva <clears throat> in the liberated stage. And she was, oh, well, there's no doing. 
You see, Shiva only takes form when he comes to this material world. In liberation, of course, like like you dummy, like you should know this. Liberation, there is, everything is unmanifest. Shiva's unmanifest. I am unmanifest. Manifestation is unmanifest. You know. I mean, she was almost pounding on the table, telling me, "I am not a Mayavadi." They don't know. They don't know. You see. So uh, it's just like an alcoholic. They, they, you know. Sometimes there has to be an intervention before they realize they have a problem, or somebody drugs or things like that. You know. Sometimes we have a problem, and the world has to hit you between the eyes. You know, maybe if you're if I have a drinking or an intoxication problem, you might have to get into. Uh, an automobile accident or get a DWI, and even that doesn't do it. Whatever your problem is, it has to cause you great suffering to get your attention, you see. So, um, the world is operating like that, you see. We've become impersonal. We're, we're, we are personalist by uh, nature. It's our nature to be personal, you see. But, we've pretty much turned our back on having an association with Krishna because we want to have an association with us. I want to have an association with me. I want to put my attention into me. You know? It's like we were talking yesterday. I want to learn to love me. You know, I've been investing all this love and, and everything in, in this Krishna well, let me try, what's it like if I give it to me? You know? I want to take care of me. I want to be good to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, so we come to this material world, and uh, we've lost our uh, personal connection with the Supreme. Not only that, but this consciousness causes us to lose our personal relationship with each other. You see, if I can't get anything from you that I might want, then I don't really have any need for you. You know, you could live next door to me. What do I need with you? I don't have any need for you. What do I care? It's not that I hate you or dislike you. I just don't care. I may wish you well. No, off you go. Do well. Stay out of my way. You, see. you can see the way people drive on the freeway. You can see impersonalism there. I mean, you can see, you can taste it. I mean, I spent a lot of time driving on the freeway. Tell, let me tell you. You know, yeah. sometimes you're coming, you're going along, and you know, I'm old and a little stupid, and I don't know, I can't see well, so I don't. Sometimes it takes me to the last minute to realize that the lane over here is going to end because I saw the sign and I'm thinking, oh, the lane is going to end. Oh, wow, the lane's really, it's ending. So I need to move over. Well, the guy right back here is thinking, oh, you dummy, you're about to lose that lane. You're probably going to want to get in front of me. Well, I don't want that. So he speeds up. So now he's beside me and the lane's ending. 
you know, I'm thinking, well, that was kind of impersonal. It wasn't very personal, you see. So I find myself trying to do the opposite. You know, I'm thinking, all right, if I'm thinking he's impersonal, then I have to behave in this machine on a personal basis. So I'm going to let people in. You know, maybe that'll help me out of this impersonal trap that I've got myself into. So we're st starting to be a little bit more conscious of being personal, you see. Uh, but there are many things people do uh, that are very, very impersonal. We can analyze ourselves and our fellow man, and we can, we can see the, the impersonal things that we do, you see. Uh, personal things would be to think of your well-being. Even if I don't know you, even if I've never met you, thinking of the well-being of everybody, you see, that's very personal. Um, um, and it's a crude example, but the way people behave in bathrooms, you know, you, you may know, you know, the, the, the towel falls on the floor, let's leave it. Somebody will pick it up, I don't care, you know. But maybe you, you may not know who it is that has to pick that up or who's going to be in the bathroom after you. I'm talking about when you're traveling or, you know, like when the people come here. You may not know who it is, but I'm going to do something nice for them. I came in here and the towel was on the floor. So not only am I not going to put mine on the floor, I'm going to throw mine away, but I'm going to pick up this one too. You see, just a little... So, um, anyway, um, by starting to become personal with Krishna, we start to feel obligated to be personal with our fellow living entities. You see? How can we be personal with Krishna and impersonal with his parts and parcels? First of all, Krishna's not going to like that, you know, and how are we really overcoming our impersonalism if we're not personal to everyone? I mean, it's kind of like one of those things, either you, you is or you ain't. You know, either you're personal or you're not. Either you're impersonal or you're not. <clears throat> That's a, yeah, uh, pregnant, either you're pregnant or you're not. There's no... What is that they say? There's a saying. You can't be a little bit pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. You, either you is or you ain't. It's like that, you see. So I can't say, well, I'm personal with Krishna and not even care anything about my fellow man or whatever, you see. I don't think Krishna's going to buy that. I think he's smart enough to, to say, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you've got yourself convinced that you're personal. You know? So, and again, maybe I'm, I'm trying to be personal with Krishna because of some benefit. <laughs> so, uh, any, any questions or comments, by the way? Anybody have anything that they've been thinking about? Yes, Lauren? Um, in the Gita, it's, it talks about how, um, how difficult it is for us to know Krishna on a personal level and it says um, one of the reasons is because demigods don't know Krishna and 
there are higher than human beings, and how is that true that demigods don't know Krishna? They don't have a relationship with him? It's personal? They don't have uh, a relationship of bhakti. You see, uh, we were all demigods at one time when we came here. When we checked into the material world, we were given that position of Lord Brahma. Because we wanted to be the supreme controller, we wanted we were we wanted to be the center of attention, you know. So Krishna gives us that opportunity. So, uh, but along the way, we have a tendency to start focusing again on ourselves, my great might, my beauty, my potency, the great power that I have, whatever. They're not. Um, uh, the only way to understand Krishna, and I think it's the seventh chapter, first verse, uh, Krishna's talking about those. If you become my devotee and uh, render loving devotional service to me, ultimately you will know me in full, you see. But it's through devotional service, it's through love. So demigods don't have that love? Not... I mean, it's not that they don't it's not that they dislike him they're not focused on bhakti yoga they're not focused on serving krishna with love and devotion so specifically who who are the demigods referring to oh the demigods are basically they're going to be dealing with lord vishnu which is krishna but krishna manifests lord vishnu for the uh, dealings of the material world uh, creation and maintenance and like that, you see. Uh, it's like Lord Brahma. He was, he didn't understand Krishna when he, when he was on the planet. He didn't understand. He saw Krishna with the cowherd boys, so he wanted to get a little closer and kind of figure out this Krishna. So he stole the cows and the cowherd boys, you see. He stole them and put them in a cave. And then uh, when he went back to see uh, Krishna, to see how Krishna was dealing with that, he saw the cowherd boys and the cows were there. Krishna had manifest himself as the cows and cowherd boys, you see. And actually a year had passed, you see. So, uh, you know, he was astounded. He was amazed, you see. So they don't have, they're not uh, particularly bhakti yogis. They have some understanding of, uh, of Krishna. They have a very high position, but it doesn't mean that they're pure devotees. See what I mean? Yeah, I guess it's just surprising to me that they wouldn't be. I guess it's just surprising to me that they wouldn't be. Yeah, because we, we think, well, they have a high position. So they should, you see. But uh, that high position, it, you know, it's, it's basically a material position. The heavenly planets are still in the material world. You know, to achieve one of the demigod's planets, if you worship a demigod at the time of death, you go to that demigod. So to achieve the planet of the demigod is not um, uh, liberation. Can the demigods be liberated? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're living entities like us. They're just in very high places. 
which in a way is kind of a problem for them, you know. They've got all this this potency in there, you know. They're tangled up. They're a little puffed up too sometimes. <laughs> they're not necessarily pure devotees, just because they're demigods. But we, I, you know, we could think when we first hear about the demigods, we think, oh, well, they're probably because we think of them where they work themselves up to that level, and you know. But uh, you know, it's like uh, in, in a company. You know, you get this position, that position. Well, in spiritual life, it's not necessarily like that. You know, work myself up to a demigod, and then I'm liberated. After that, uh, uh, everybody, everybody can be liberated. We don't have to be demigods. We can do it. You can do it. You're on your way now. That make any sense? Yes, mother. Um, we understand from the scriptures that if someone says they're an incarnation of Krishna, then you know if they're not. It's not in the scriptures. If it's not predicted, if the mother and father aren't there. But then there's others who um, either they say or their followers say that they are some type of um, incarnation of you know perhaps like a Nash or someone. I mean, could they be? I guess they could, uh, you know, could Ganesh or Lord Shiva incarnate, um, I guess it's possible, you know. Um, it's like one of these questions of what, what does it matter, you know. I mean, uh, it's just like uh, there was this uh, story about Shiva Prabhupada one time in Vrindavan. He was uh, on morning walk. He's walking through the streets of Vrindavan with uh, his disciples. And uh, he stopped and uh, went into this temple, this small little temple. And in there was this deity. I believe it was uh, a deity of Ganesh. It's either Ganesh or Shiva. Uh, but I think it was Ganesh. And so he walked in, paid his dandavats, Pranams, and then left, you see. So Prabhupada gave respect to, to Lord Ganesh, you see. But we don't have Ganesh on our altar. You know, he doesn't worship. He offers all respect, but he doesn't worship Ganesh, you see. So uh, Ganesh has very, and so does Lord Shiva, has great uh, importance, but we're so focused on Krishna that it doesn't really matter, you know. It's just like if we were in some gathering and there was Krishna present and Lord Ganesh is there and Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, we may glance at them, but we're really going to be focused at Krishna, you see. We're going to be awe-inspired awe by looking at Krishna. Well, it's really cool, you know, I'm seeing Lord Brahma. That's wonderful, you know, but I'm not going to take my attention. So, so in other words, what I'm getting at is we don't really, uh, we're not so concerned about it. So if, if somebody says, well, this person is uh, an incarnation of Ganesh, I, I mean, the first question that comes to my mind is, so what? 
you know. I mean, so you can go to him and he can give you money. You know, he can fulfill your material desires. You know, I mean, maybe we can invite him to the Sunday feast and give him a special seat. And, you know, nice plate of prasadam. Let him lead the arti, maybe, <laughs> or let lead the kirtan. I mean, I don't know. So I, I feel like saying, well, and, and, and your point is, because we have Lord Chaitanya, you know, we have Radha and Krishna, and uh, and that's very nice that maybe he's incarnated like this. But I can't let anything take my mind off my pursuance of my relationship with Krishna. You see, so you know, I don't know. It's just. Oh, uh, you know, that's another subject we could get into. Sometimes people ask me things like, uh, uh, do you believe, I've had people ask me this, uh, usually down in the Bible Belt, down in Tennessee, uh, do you believe that Lord Jesus Christ was God? And I look at them and I say, how would I know? I don't know. I mean, I know that he was uh, definitely pure devotee, um, maybe some sort of an avatar. I don't know. It, you know, so, uh, I mean, what a wonderful personality he was. You know, his appearance and what he was trying to do at that particular time with those particular folks was wonderful. But was he God? How would I know? How would you know? You know, you have faith. You see? You have, you have the faith. And Krishna has enthused that faith. Krishna says that in Bhagavad Gita. You place your faith in a certain direction, Krishna enthuses that faith. He gives you that faith. You see, even if you want to worship a different God, you know, he will give you the proper faith. So, um, and he's like that because it's not a cheap thing. If you want him, then you've got to pursue him. You've got to say, oh, my dear Lord, I have faith in you. I want you. And Krishna says, oh, okay, here's the faith you need to pursue me. When we find people that are saying, sometimes we find people who are struggling in their spiritual life and they say, well, I'm, you know, I just have problems with my faith. Well, you know, it's all your problem. Krishna will give you the faith. You know, you've got to have the desire. My dear Lord, I want to I want to serve you. I want to attain you. I want you and nothing else. And Krishna says, oh, here's the faith you need. That's so Bhagavad Gita. You know, even if you want to pursue the demigods, he'll give you the faith. He'll give it to you. I mean, how kind and sweet, you know. You want me? Hey. Here's everything you need. Here's faith. Uh, here's more faith. Mm. You know. uh, see, you're really sincere? Okay, where's my uh, pure devotee? Yeah, would you uh, go and become guru for him? Because he, uh, I'm going to send you to him. Out of my mercy to him, I'm going to give you the guru to him. And I know that you will give me to him. See, by the mercy of Krishna, one gets guru. By the mercy of guru, one gets Krishna. 
And of course, sometimes false ego says, well, wow, wait a minute. I've got, I'm going to go over that guru. I'm going to go around him or under him. You know. I'm going to go straight to God myself because you know what? I'm special. Yes, Prabhu? Prabhu, can you read Bhagavad Gita 10, chapter, verse number 2? So actually, I think. 10 to? Yeah, 10 to, yeah. Krishna spoke about all this. Krishna's answer. He talks about the demigods. Neither the host of the demigods nor the great sages know my origin or opulence, for in every respect I am the source of the demigods and sages. Yeah. He's the source of all. He's a source. Yeah. They're, uh, they, they came from Krishna as well. You see. They're in many ways are as confused as we are. They've just got really great jobs <laughs> with, you know, super benefits. So they got disappointments and sorrows too, demigods? Huh? Even the demigods have disappointments and sorrows. Oh yeah? Oh yeah. Sometimes the demons come and, and kick the demigods out of their planets and out of their homes. You know? So many times through Bhagavatam when you're, you know, oh, yeah, and Krishna has to come and fix it. The demons get so powerful. It's like at the at this particular time when Krishna's coming, he's coming because uh, the demons had taken over. The demons were, were causing a great deal of trouble uh, for Mother Earth, Mother Bhumi. So she, only the so only the pure devotee who who has pure devotion and uh, lotus feet of the law. I want nothing, I want only devotion and your faith. Only that kind of devotee is free from disappointment. Right. The pure devotee of Krishna is far more powerful than the demigods. Far more powerful than... So like if this is Ganesh that's incarnated, give me a pure devotee, give me a Krishna Bhakta. Because he's far more powerful. Why? Because he can give you Krishna. By his mercy, he can give you Krishna. So, um, could it be thought maybe that Krishna appointed the demigods, you know, sort of as a as a lesson to for them? Like, well, it's kind of like they have so much power so that they can like see that and maybe liberate, you know, or not want it. Maybe it could help them. Yeah, it also could uh, contaminate them. You see. So is it their karma? Maybe, yeah, karma. Um, it's a reward for something. Something that they've done or some desires that they have, some relationship that they're having. But how is it with Krishna? they don't just have the relationship with Krishna, the love? They're not attracted to that. Otherwise, they would have never left Goloka Vrindavan. You see. They came to the material world, same reason we did. You know, I want to put myself in the center. I'm not against Krishna. I'm just wanting to see how far can I go if I'm if I have some power. 
And if I'm in the center of attention, I say, I want to see what I can do. So they're just like us. They're wanting to get away from Krishna. They don't dislike him. It's just like, let me see what else is. What else you got? They want to depart like that. So they're just, uh, think, think of the material world as uh, a big company, a big corporation. And in a, in a big corporation, you've got department heads, vice president of uh, human resources, vice president of sales, vice president of accounting, you see. So the demigods are like that. They're, they've all got some uh, job that they do. These are the people that Krishna has. You know, Krishna doesn't have to take care of the weather. He has people to do that. He has demigods. You know, Lord Indra. You know, you know Krishna doesn't have to say, he's, you know, can you see Krishna? He's with Radharani and they're having this beautiful, wonderful talk and Krishna says, oh, I've got to cut this short. Radharani says, why? Well, I've got to go make it rain. You know, I've got to go do this. Radharani's like, oh, Krishna, you're always having to do something. No, he's got people to do that, you know. The demigods, they're appointed, you know. He's, he doesn't have to spoil his amorous pastimes with Radharani, you know. He knows Indra's going to take care of the rain, you know. He's gonna, so what he does, makes him feel powerful. It throws the thunderbolts, rain... You know, he's really, that's his department, and boy, he's really into it, so I don't have to worry about that. See? So they're like department heads. You know? They've all got their jobs, their various spheres of influence. And uh, it's possible that they could get some spiritual realization from it. But it's also possible that they can fall down from there. Like we did. We were once Lord Brahma. You know, what happened to us? We <laughs> we messed it up. You know. It's, it's, it's interesting in the mind of man there is this fascination with hero-like powers. I mean, we have a show on TV that was called Heroes and it was like Superman was real and you know all these other characters were, were coming to be slowly discovering them as the series went on. You got all these things about vampires and they live forever and they got all these powers and you've got yeah. you know, all the, 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 there's something about our nature that wants power. But what you said earlier is so important that love is really the strongest power. That's the closest we come to Krishna is this love that we have. Right. And that all that other stuff is just peripheral. It doesn't really matter that much. That's the real power. Love yeah, the real is power. the real power. And it's what we all need, what we all really, really want. And yet somehow we're fascinated by Donald Trumps and people who can manipulate buildings and do different things and we think, but that's really not joyous. <laughs> right, right. It's really not that important. We need uh, some sort of camaraderie at least. What's the, what is the biggest thing about this? What is the biggest punishment if you're in prison? What's the most, what's the meanest, nastiest thing they do to you? Isolation, solitary confinement. That's right. It'll make you go crazy. 
or you get to hang out with other idiots. I mean, it's, it's, that's part of the punishment. But in order, in order to get away from the solitary confinement, I'll hang around the people. I'd rather be with the idiots. Well, there you right? Because there's some camaraderie. There's a hint of something that might be construed as something like love. You see? So, but if you take, even, even if you take that away, because you're with slime, there's slime buckets, and you know, but even if I take you out of that and put you in solitary confinement, you're not, you'd rather go back out there. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you're in a maximum security or something like that. Even some of those guys, maybe, they just... I mean, they're all pure living entities that are just covered over. You know, they're just somehow or other covered over. They're thinking that they're a criminal, thinking they're a tough guy. You know, they're really pure spirit soul, just like us. We just need to get to the Chenhari Krishna, serve Krishna. You know, hook up with a pure devotee, go back to Godhead. We actually have a nice prison ministry. We have a lot of preaching going on in prison. All right. Anything else? It's uh, time to wrap it up. Come to Bhagavad Gita class tonight. Any questions? Open discussion. We'll talk about anything you want, as long as it has to do with Krishna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our glorious Shri Prabhupada.